doing a beautiful farm and having an island in the desert, an island of greenery in the desert. Interesting, but that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to transform the world. Our job is to help you develop your thinking and capability and your being state, your becoming state, so that you can transform, not we as a consultant, that you can transform the place you live and work. When we work with architecture firms and clients who are doing these massive master plans, I say, yeah, you can draw the pretty picture. That's nice. But within 24 hours after completing that pretty picture, it's going to change. Before he fired me, he said, my minister wouldn't, doesn't get away with saying the shit you say. Yes, it is difficult. Change is difficult. Life is difficult. So dig in. And this work is actually meant to get people off of automatic. It is meant to frustrate you. You, you want to frustrate people without driving them insane. Exactly. Hey all, Dan Palmer here, welcoming you back to the next episode of the Making Permaculture Stronger podcast. This is episode 23, and today I'll be sharing a second follow-up conversation with Bill Reed, where we dip into some fascinating aspects of this living systems approach that Bill and his colleagues at Regenesis Group, and in collaboration with Carol Sanford over decades, has been developing and using. I'm hoping that you'll get some tangible, graspable, uh, useful ways of framing thinking being in process out there doing your wonderful work with permaculture. I speak from a beautiful botanical gardens in Castlemaine, Central Victoria, Australia, where I live. I've just been having a kick with the kids. It's just on the cusp of spring here. So there's all kinds of different trees here. The deciduous trees are putting out their buds. The magpies and ravens and wood ducks and the like are happily cruising around doing what they do. Before we get into the chat with Bill, I really wanted to really invite your input. Making permaculture stronger is coming up to some kind of spring. I'm very conscious that it's in a juncture in its evolution where it's a thing, it's not going to disappear. It's proven itself. I'm still motivated to be a part of it. There's a growing body of people that are in touch. You could say there's a, there's a community of permaculture design practice emerging around this project, which I'm really excited and nourished by. And I'm conscious that it could keep going in the, in the track it's kind of on and, and, and gradually erode a deeper and deeper rut in the same direction. I'm simultaneously conscious of potential. You know, I can sense there are possibilities for this project to evolve in ways that are vague to me. I, I just occasionally get the, the faintest glimmers and I've realized I can't figure this out by myself. I can't plan it up front. I'm going to have to fall into this, fall into the unknown a little bit. And I want to do that in collaboration with those of you out there for whom this project and these podcasts and all the rest is resonating. And I know there's a, a bunch of you from the comments and the emails and messages you send me and the, the Zoom and Skype calls I've been having with some of you around the world. So I wanted to invite you in to figure out where this, this thing is heading. So one aspect of this is a couple of months back I started a Patreon page for the project, patreon.com slash making permaculture stronger. And one outcome of that experiment is that a bunch of you, I think there's 13 so far, are voluntarily contributing money, throwing some bucks at this project, which is exciting as a tangible expression of value and appreciation, which is awesome. It's also exciting in that it's shown me the potential of this project to stop being a hobby that I squeeze into the hours around the side of what I do for a livelihood, which is all around permaculture design anyway. But the potential that I can actually lean on this project, it can carry a little more weight. I can potentially engage and pay other people with skills I don't have. People who actually know how to edit and create good podcasts and soundtracks and um, make decent videos because I've got access to all of this content and I've got access to people who have access to a lot of content and I'm conscious I could be doing so more or we could be doing so more to to really bring that and share that and make making permaculture stronger a stronger consistently reliable high quality platform for catalyzing supporting participating in permaculture's evolution particularly with the design process thing but I'm starting to get inklings and and expressions of interest to explore how design is taught on permaculture design courses and all kinds of different aspects of permaculture. So I want to invite input at the stage. The next month or two, I reckon, I'll be really listening very carefully. It's a good time for you to give me your suggestions. It's a great time, if you have any inclination, to kick a few bucks in the direction of the project as an indicator of um, what might be possible on that front. One thing I'm exploring starting this coming week is that folk that are in the $10 per month tier and above we're getting together there's five of us at the stage we're going to start having um, regular conference calls and exploring building a community practice really tuning into where each other is at and supporting the co-evolution of our design process literacy and learning from each other's experiences and, and all that kind of stuff so i'm excited to try that out and i sense there's real potential for that given that in the permaculture world to my knowledge there's not a lot of 
high quality professional development pathways that you can find and latch onto and really benefit from over months and years after getting into permaculture, doing your permaculture design certificate and all that stuff. And as we know from a lot of the inquiries I've been making on making permaculture stronger, there's a whole lot of ways that, I don't know if I want to say polluted or corrupted, but you know, there's, there's a lot of conventional ways of approaching design that I don't believe, and I know a lot of you don't believe, really do permaculture's essence. It's unique, beautiful, aspirational foundation justice in the world. An example of the kind of thing I'm thinking of is like I, one of my favourite things I do each year is run a four-day advanced permaculture design process course with David Holmgren and we're really co-evolving some cool stuff together and, and, and people that come along face to face are getting a lot of value out of that but obviously that's a pretty small pocket or percentage of the of people into permaculture and of course there's also there has to be a whole lot of advanced beyond the PDC uh, design process uh, educational opportunities out there and if nothing else, it would be amazing to start aggregating those and giving people access to, to what's being developed, however that works, whether it's through videos or podcasts or whatever other ideas you might come up with. And so please be in touch any way whatsoever. I'm, I'm so open. I want to know more about my own limitations, my own biases, my own ignorance, the, the cultural blinkers that, that I've, I carry and I, I want to open this up, bring more people from around the world into this conversation. At the same time, without making it just a, a clearinghouse for anything that has anything to do with permaculture, I want to keep some kind of focus, some kind of parameters. So, yeah, I don't know. What, what are we up for here, people? Let's, let's talk. Let's take this shit to the next level. That's where things are at. So I'm excited to share this. I'm a little nervous also, but I, I've got to listen to where this thing wants to go. And I don't know where that is yet, but it's somewhere pretty cool. And I'm excited about really exploding the capacity and uh, what's happening, what's possible week to week. Let's jump into the chat with Bill Reed. What I'm learning from Bill, Joel, Carol and such is very relevant to what I'm talking about. I'd love to learn more about their stuff in the context of applying it to making permaculture stronger and through that to permaculture. So let's jump in. See what Bill has to share today. One of the things we're going to get into is aligning around purpose. And we're going to be using words like function and being and will. And hopefully Bill's going to really be able to land those distinctions for us in a, in, a, in a useful way but we'll see and thanks so much for listening to these things thanks so much for you know if it wasn't for your the fact even that you're listening to this that itself is an indication of of value value and, and all these things together have added up to give me enough motivation to keep moving forward with this whole thing and and see where we go okay that's more than enough for me this is probably the longest intro ever enjoy the chat and i'll check in with you briefly i promise at the end here i am delighted to only a couple of weeks after our our last chat to be talking with Bill Reed again. Thanks for joining me, Bill. Delighted. And I am very grateful that you're, you're making the time and effort and energy to, to be in conversation. Obviously, I'm having a real focus on the work of you and your colleagues at the moment, and it's stimulating a lot of interest and discussion, dialogue through the blog and the podcast and, and no doubt beyond. So today, there's a few themes I'd love to explore with you. One of them is around what you're doing, how you do it, how you get the work, how you make a living out of the stuff. Mm-hmm. How does it hit the ground, I guess, is what you're how asking. Yeah, how does it hit the ground? It'd be lovely to hear at the same time you've talked to me about this the idea of levels of thought. I'd really love to move from focusing on trying to get myself around the stuff to making this palatable and graspable and useful for listeners out there that are wondering about how they might use this stuff in their day-to-day permaculture practice. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's enough to kick off with. Sure. Um, that's plenty. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's just, because I saw some of the responses from our last uh, interview, and I think people were interested, at least that's what I took away from it, is, you know, uh, let's ground this some. And let me just speak from my personal experience, is that I'm, I'm interested in changing the world. And how do we do that? And basically, I've been working in that space for maybe 40 years, and hitting my head against the wall, trying to convince people, making them feel guilty, wondering why they don't understand the facts. Look at climate change as an example, right? So how come that's not working? What I've learned from this practice is more about how the human mind works or doesn't work, uh, and then into realizing that really this is about life is how we perceive the world through our thoughts and our thinking and, and our language. And it all gets in the way unless we're conscious. So this work is really about, it's a mental technology about how we become conscious of what we are actually, how we're structuring it, how we're processing it. So the nature of this work is not a deliverable. 
It's a deliverable of capacity and capability. The capacity to even recognize, these are two really important words. Not, they don't mean the same thing. The capacity to recognize what you don't know that you don't know, and then the capability to employ what you're, what you're experiencing. And we also like to say, don't believe us, don't accept this work, and don't reject this work. You've got to experience it yourself. So the intellectual stuff is merely a door opening. We can't convince you about this intellectually. It has to be experienced. And this work, interestingly enough, and all the, fr the fr many of the frameworks we use are ancient frameworks that come from people who have thought long and hard about how life is actually working. When Aristotle came along and uh, gradually se basically separated humans from nature, we've ended up into, in a reductionist, fragmented worldview that allows us to see so many rich things, but we don't understand very little, very rarely in our Western culture, how to work with holes, a whole living system. I know somebody else said, they're tired of this holes and fragments stuff. That's fine. Nonetheless, maybe tired of it, but it's really important to understand the differentiation. And because the minute somebody says, you know, I'm going to work on social justice, or I'm going to work on the watershed health, you realize they're never going to get there. Because they may work on that as a band-aid, and they may solve it in a little bit. But the fabric, the warp and woof of our lives are bound up in the ecological system and the social system. There's no difference between the two. And uh, they aren't different. They're different dimensions of a whole system. And until we learn to work with those holes, we will continually be frustrated. Okay, I'm getting preachy right now, so I'll stop. But actually, it's not a bad beginning because these are the kind, we get most of our work, I get most of the work that I bring in anyway, from giving talks and lectures just on this kind of stuff. And with, at about this level of theoretical practice, and in the beginning, it was all theory. We had no validation that this worked other than the business world, you know, where it has worked, but not from an architectural and planning and ecological world. Permaculture was out there. That was really a great reference and allowed us to actually move forward uh, into what was missing in permaculture that we were, we were adding a dimension to. Also, it's no different than the green building movement. We were talking about integrative design for green building and how you need to work with synergies and all these pieces. We'd never done that. We knew intellectually it was true, but we had to, frankly, throw out a bunch of bullshit to, uh, you know, but people, there was no validation except that it just made sense. And so it really wasn't bullshit. It was just made sense. But we didn't have any kind of validation. And enough people were there to say, you know, that makes sense. And they would buy it. And then you had a case study. And then you had two case studies. And you found out what worked and what didn't work. So we all experiment on each other, really. In fact, life is continually a process of emergence, right? It's all an experiment of evolution. And until we get really comfortable with that, we're going to be very frustrated because we ain't, we ain't in control as uh, everybody wants to be. Well, you're not in control. <laughs> I, get, I, get, I get clients saying that to me. Bill, you changed the agenda in the middle of the meeting. You're not in control of your work. <laughs> said, well, I mean, I've had, literally had that said to me. I said, well, so what would you have done in the situation that just emerged? I can't help what that person's thinking or saying. You have to be able to work with that. Well, you should be more, more firm, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Of course, it doesn't, doesn't put the problem or the issue away. So it's a, it's a silly idea. It's the machine age paradigm. We think we can actually be in charge. And on that note, there was a real fun article, fun, it was kind of sobering, uh, in the New Yorker probably a decade ago, Jonathan Lehrer, I guess is whatever his name was. And the title of the article was The Truth Wears Out. And what he was reporting on is at University of California, Santa Barbara. University of California, Santa Barbara, there's a small department or maybe even individual professor validating or revalidating medical experiments. And he found out that I'm going to make this number up, but it's pretty big, like 80% of the experiments weren't replicable. So why is that? And there's a lot, but I would say that with, with physical sciences, like an automobile engine or some kind of material science, those are replicable. But with biology, what happens? Evolution's always moving on. Things change. Things mutate. So anyway, going off in that little riff, these are the kind of presentations that I make. And people say, well, I've never thought about that. And then you share with them some case studies about what's worked, what hasn't worked, what the larger agenda is, if you will. And the first major agenda is that sustainability, as we're talking about it, is not sustainable. And that, for a lot of people, is a shocker. 
very destabilizing because you've been, you know, dedicating 20 or 30 years to your life to reducing the damage and find out, well, it's just a slower way to die. So gentle destabilization, and Carol will certainly say that, is really important. I don't know if Carol would use the word gentle. Stabilization. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I would. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I love that. I pick up that from you. Yeah. So this is, I think, this is awesome. Like really useful, and it's very much how I've ended up working as well. So you know, you're coming in one way or another. You get into some kind of conversation with folk, and the gentle destabilization. Like, let me tell you a few things about sustainability. It's actually a slower way to die. There are more possibilities than that. And at the beginning, you had to, in a sense, fake it until you made it, or you had confidence in the ideas and had seen them work in business and so on. But you just had to get some jobs across the line to generate the case. That's right. That's right. That's that's pure will, right? Just exercising will because it's so necessary. How's it it working for us out there? We aren't doing so well. Mm. So why not try this? You know, that's another way to that's a passive way to engage. But. Yeah, and there's that thing too, that if something's going to happen, it has to happen. You know, like if you're going to do something, you have to do the thing. You can't just talk about the thing and think about right. the thing. So at some point, yeah. you've got to get the process started. Once you've done the thing, you've got a case study, you learn some stuff, you've got a tiny bit more credibility. I mean, that's how I start all my permaculture design consultancy projects. We, we have a get together. There's a little bit of theory. And then, hey, let me, let me take you through some case studies so you can get a feel for yeah, it. Storytelling. Yeah, case totally studies are storytelling. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and people can, I guess, um, are able then to place themselves in, this, in a story like this and figure out whether they f- would like to be part of a story like this. Right. Now, even more powerful, if you can actually, if people are patient enough to sit them down and image their purpose. That is something that people rarely visit. What am I really doing here? And when you start weaving in multiple dimensions of frameworks in that purpose, people say, oh, my goodness, I've never thought this way before. We had one woman work on, on the, the purpose. We were just doing a kind of a, it's a class situation. We had them writing a purpose statement because there's a structure. There's one, there's multiple structures for doing this, but that frame the dimensions of existence, function, being, and will, or inner whole, proximate whole, greater whole. There's ways to write purpose that are multiple dimensions. And to get people to think beyond the reductionist one idea, right? Give me the elevator pitch. No, you don't want an elevator pitch. Life is complex. Don't dumb it down. We do such a disservice by make, trying to reduce something to a mechanical construct. Just puts us in the same loop over again. Make it simple. Make it simple. At the same time, we have to make it accessible without dumbing it down to the point where it's a uh, pablum. Let's go into that a little bit. I think this is really important. I found along the way that in permaculture, one, one thing that I, I didn't pick up and I had to go looking elsewhere for, was around reading people. Part of that is, is supporting folk you're working with to articulate purpose. And one way you can do that is, I mean, you, you can pay it lip service. You can just sort of brush over it and you can effectively in your mind substitute a generic person for this person, you know, like, you know, like in permaculture. What do you want? We want permaculture. Just at the extreme, some people have said to me, we want permaculture. So what do you mean exactly? What does that mean for you? They say, we, we don't, we just do, just give us permaculture. Well, well it's like sustainability. We want a sustainable building. Uh, okay. <laughs> and, and that can be a bit of a, a process too, to get across that this, you know, in my case, I'm not going to work with you unless we, we honor this and spend some time going deep into this. But then this idea of people can tell you some stuff and you can, you can aim to simplify or like you said, dumb it down as opposed to, and this is a word I've picked up from you lot is essentialize and using some of these frameworks. I mean, because you've mentioned it, it's probably worth, and I don't think we mentioned it last time, it's probably worth going a little bit into this, that you mentioned one of these frameworks, which you use in purpose, which is function being will. Yeah, let's go there. It's, it's, it's a really rich, we will spend, and let me give a preamble here, we will sometimes spend two to six months working on purpose. It sounds like I'm exaggerating. I'm not. And when doing, and I'm talking about large projects with multiple interested parties and stakeholders. But in doing so, we will save years in permitting time and development time. It it is so worthwhile to sharpen your ax with getting people aligned. I make a guarantee to people, there are not two people in this room of, let's say, 50 people who are actually aligned around belief and what we're doing here. You may have, you may touch, there may be common touch points, zero chance that anybody's really aligned. So there, there's a good beginning. That's a great. And, and do you trust that? Do you trust that statement that I just made? Do you believe that? One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's the thing about the the number one killer of long term collaborations and relationships is unstated expectations. And people at the there beginning can say, "Yeah, you're on the same page. Tell me about your page. Tell me about your. Oh, okay. There's a, there's a few pretty significant differences, and we might as well deal with them now. Or look into them now, and 
Right. Here's the key. Here's the thing. You don't even know your unsaid restraints and gaps. Yeah. You don't. I mean, what do I need to be happy in my life? Well, I need a red Lamborghini and a blonde trophy wife. That's the worst thing for me, right? I mean, in my lower moments, I might say, yeah, that's what I need mm-hmm. through one, one crisis or another. I mean, that's a silly example. But we think we know what we want. But as David Bohm said, we do a lot of thoughting. We don't do much thinking. And that's so we borrow problem. thoughts from all over. So, so the usefulness of purpose, and sometimes we spend 45 minutes just making that effort is really important. But typically, we will spend, we will iterate it over a period of a few weeks. So let me share with you a story. Brilliant. It's, and there's a, there's a number of them, but one in particular is, uh, well, actually, I'll share two. They're ones that I've shared in, in lectures a lot, so they're on the tip of my tongue. So we were hired by Office Depot, the big corporation, you know, the office supply corporation. They're out of Boca Raton, Florida. And we were hired because of this natural system stuff we do. And I had a meeting with the executive vice president for uh, an hour. So went down to meet him. And uh, we had done a little bit of research on the sinkholes and saltwater incursion, you know, the problems that Florida is, you know, it's going to float away eventually has. And he said, yeah, yeah. Was about, I did a download for about 10 minutes, kind of introducing the subject. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to talk about that. It's too late. I said, well, no, it's never too late. It was always something we can do. He said, well, it's too late on this project. So I raised my hands in the air and I said, kind of passive aggressively, okay, well, you know, thanks for the trip down. And he, he was a good guy. He wasn't being mean. He was just, this is what he felt. And he said, well, so you got another 45 minutes. What else can you do for me? <laughs> Which I thought was kind of a funny line. But I said, okay, uh, we're systems thinkers. And some of the great corporations in the world have really improved their value to the customers and themselves, their stockholders, shareholders, by, by actually really going deep into the system they're part of. And the basis of a system is actually, in terms of a living system, is what's, what purpose unites all of you. So you can all pull your oars in the same direction. And Edward R. Deming you know, did this with the Japanese automobile industry. The American automobile industry was flush from World War II. They didn't want to talk. They're making billions. They didn't need anybody to give them advice. So Nissan, Honda, and um, Toyota did need a lot of advice. And the juggernaut of the Japanese automobile industry came out of Edward R. Deming's work over there. And one of his principles is processes is the five whys. So there's a purpose. There's a simple purpose structure. Ask any proposition, demand that you unpack it to a level of five whys. Pretty well known. So I said, I, I mean, I was just winging it with this guy. I said, oh, you want to you play the five whys? It's the, it's the Toyota way. He said, sure, let's play the five whys. So I said, why are you building this building? Well, we want to have a grow. We we need to house our growing workforce. Good. Why do you want to house your growing workforce? Well, we need this better communication, better esprit de corps. Great. And I didn't know where I was going with this. There was a drawing on the wall. It was a concept drawing. I said, so why, if you build this building, will that give you better communication and esprit de corps? And he sat there for a minute. I, I really do mean this. It was so long that I was incredibly uncomfortable. You know, as you might be with a stranger, I thought, oh, oh, did he... Did I say something to really offend him? And after a minute or so, he slams his fist on the table and he said, holy shit, you just saved me $30 million. I said, I'll take 10%. (laughs) And he did pay zero attention to that comment. And, uh, but I said, okay, so what happened? He said, we've never, we've been working on this project for years. He said, we've never thought about this. 1200 of our people are on headphones all day. Call center people, call order people, IT people said they don't talk to each other. They have one team meeting a week. You know, we don't, they don't have to, they could come in for that or they could do it over, you know, video conference. He said, you just saved me 25% of this building. You're hired. So I'm not suggesting you need to actually do those kind of acrobatics to be hired. But the point is, is that I wasn't doing anything other than following a framework of actually shifting the way people think. Now, we were actually not hired. We, he called up a week later and said, sorry, can't use you because he went waltzed into the real estate department and said, guess what? We don't need to build 25% of this building. And they said, get out of here. The train has left the station. It's not going backwards. So two lessons there. Number one, how important it is to actually help people walk through framing new thinking and also engaging all the main interested parties in that discovery. Because if you don't align them, you don't have a project. I want to share one more story. So a, a couple, very wealthy couple from Manhattan, bought a 200-acre farm in Connecticut to do organic farming. They'd never farmed in their lives. 
And I thought, oh, this is a disaster waiting to happen. There's an old TV program in, in the States called Green Acres, you know, slapstick comedy of a very wealthy couple moving out to a farm and, of course, not knowing what they were doing. And that's all I could image was this show, Green Acres. This will not end happily. So I couldn't tell them, uh, are you crazy? You know what you're getting into? Because, uh, you know, I'm the architect. They're the client. So uh, in this case, I wasn't the architect. We were actually integrating the team. We were the project managers, if you will. Nonetheless, what I did is I said, so let's, let's, let's understand your purpose at a deeper level. And they came back and I taught them a framework, which we'll, we can go over in a minute, but basically, you know, how do you, how do you, what are you transforming? Who do you need to be in the process of doing that? How do you work the material you're working? And what is the purpose of the purpose? What's the will really driving uh, your ostensible purpose? And they, they came back with a nice statement, you know, we're building a, a sustainable farm that we have intergenerational meetings and teach the community how great organic farming is and show the world that, you know, this is the way we should go you know, the very standard stuff. I said, you know, I know six other couples in Manhattan that would say the exact same thing. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that at all, but it doesn't really help us get at your core, what you're about. So I, I gave them a challenge. I said, go back for another week, but I want you to, and this is a very important point, Dan, I want you to image this work and not think about it because life is dynamic. It can only, another way of expression I say is that run the movie, run the movie. Don't think about it. Just be in the movie and uh, observe what's going on. Observe your reactions, observe your emotions, observe what's happening, because you will actually solve those problems in advance without ever having, you will live it out. It's like visualization, right? So they said, cool, we'll do that. So they went home and um, a week later came back and I said, so what happened? And the husband looks at me and he says, I don't want to be a farmer anymore. And, and he said, and he knew what I, he said, but I'm buying this farm. I know what you're up to, Bill. He said, but I'm buying this farm. I'm just going to have to hire a farm manager. So the commission doubled. Now we had another house to build and a barn. So that was a pretty reasonable answer. Turn to the wife, and you may have to edit this out, but I'm going to quote her, if I may. She said, said so what happened? She said, I am so fucking pissed off. I said, oof. She said, no, it's not about you, Bill. Not all about you, Bill. She said, I said, all right, Michelle, so what happened? And I said, she said, I got up at 6 o'clock on Monday morning to feed the chickens, and I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I need help. Now, just because of that exercise, we had, I didn't have to say anything other than having them image their life in that place and what they were trying to accomplish. And in that process, they then became a collaborator with me. I became a collaborator with them rather than this architect saying, how can I serve you? How can I serve you? We were co-creating. And uh, I find that really powerful. Uh, example of how this how this can work, but we've aligned twenty four communities, hundred person design teams uh, in this process. It makes if you don't do anything else, if you don't remember anything else from this work that we're doing now, do this, do that, get people, take the time to align around purpose. It will make such a big difference. Beautiful. Yeah, let, let's dive into this a little more. So I'd love you to maybe in a little bit to just to run us through and really, it's going to say simple, essential, let's say essential language, the function being will distinction. I'm starting to play around with it. It's, it's you know, re- relatively straightforward. It, you know, you can, you can latch onto it and get started with it pretty, pretty quick. Yeah. Um, one distinction I might just pull out into the open is this distinction between thinking, imaging, not thinking. And, and just to make it clear, because a, a lot of the global design disciplines, and this comes into permaculture design a lot as well, is around drawing pictures, you know, diagrams. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to make it clear that when you say image how your life's going to work here, you're not talking about drawing a picture of where the house is going to go and where the road's mm-hmm. going to go. It's a, very, it's a very different thing. It's dynamic. Life is dynamic. Our imagination has to be dynamic. So you're, you're supporting people to image, and if you'd say imagine, what's, what's... Imagine would be great too, but imagine dynamically is the qualifier, yeah. not imagine statically. That's a big, I mean, you really have, and, and I think running the move, for me, running the movie works. Yeah. Um, when I was a young architect and I had no idea, architects are not generally helpful about how do I set a fee for this project, including this work. When we first started doing this work, this has never been done this way before. How do we set a fee? The only thing you can do is image yourself step by step, week by week, going through the process. And it's remarkably accurate. I actually have rarely missed an estimate on a fee from the very beginning, just by imaging every step I had to take, what it was going to do to take that, to draw the sheets, and how many sheets I was going to have to draw. And who would I be able to, who would I have to communicate with that particular issue? Oh, yeah, we need time for that. It's complex. Take notes. 
But the fact is you're running a dynamic process. Yeah, playing the movie. I, I like that I, I use that in the, the reading landscape stuff. I think we touched on this last time. Hmm. Image of the landscaping okay. unfolding over time. So I'd love to hear if you could help us you know, I'm conscious of myself and other listeners like, okay, this function, okay, let's, okay, tomorrow or next week or in a month, I've, I'm meeting with some clients they have called me in to help them develop their farm or whatever it is to, as a permaculture designer, or I might be in an organizational context to help organize an event. And I get it. I want, and I, maybe I was already going to do something like this, but I'd like to benefit from what I'm hearing here in terms of aligning around purpose. And so we're all knowing which direction we're paddling in together. Would you be able to you know, break that down, so to speak, in terms of function being will? Yeah, I'll do that and I'll do it in another way also. And then also understand that when we're talking about purpose, we're not talking about outcomes. That's another layer. Once you have a purpose, then you can define your outcomes. Then you can define your process, process. Then you can define the capabilities required to produce that process. So you you design it for what am I going to try to accomplish? What are the outcomes, the actual fine-grained outcomes, right? So a purpose statement is more evocative. We're trying to actually create will from the purpose statement, not create everything in this, throw everything in the kitchen sink in it. So the idea of a purpose statement, it becomes our North Star, if you will. So the function being in will is pretty useful. Rudolf Steiner in the Waldorf schools and um, Otto Scharmer's work, he uses hand, heart, and mind. Or you might just use what, how, and why. But that flattens it out. You kind of, I love the, the, the language of function because it basically says, well, all right, what are you going to do? And so we'll define function as the function is a transformational function. If it's not transformational, don't do it. If it's an objective, we have plenty of objects on the planet. We don't need objects anymore. We need transformation. So if you're doing anything, what are you transforming? And it isn't planting a, planting a, a pepper. You're transforming somebody's relationship with the soil, right? The transformation has to be in this, this incredible depth to evoke the power of what's really going on there in permaculture. So beware of objective functions. You know, it's basically the dimensions of who you are, your organization, and the effect on the world. All those three dimensions at once, you're holding the three lines of work as you're going through each of these. Because you need multiple frameworks to hold the complexity of life. We're out of practice. We should be doing this intuitively, but we don't have that intuition anymore. Let me just make sure we're staying clear as we go. So what you're doing is you're taking us through, inside a process of aligning around purpose, you want to focus on function being and will each of those three as you're doing that you're present to so at the function stage those three lines of work so right like mm-hmm. our project or us and and then the the proximate whole the maybe the community we're in and then the the greater whole which is the whatever it might be my yeah, body, or it might be my your, region. yeah or it might be me my team the farm yeah whatever know, those are all, all just whatever nested system you're working with but the point is by thinking of that nested system you're becoming resourced oh it's just not me planting a pepper it is why am I doing this? Why am I even thinking about permaculture? It's because our, we're losing in our soil. Well, then what am I doing about that? This act of planting a pepper needs to be, there's a whole system there that I need to be engaging in. And then, you know, you asked about permaculture in terms of where we would go with these frameworks. We'd say, well, permaculture, and this is where, where Joel had this experience, you know, just plant, doing a beautiful farm and having an island in the desert, an island of greenery in the desert. Interesting, but that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to transform the world. So how would you do that with permaculture? Well, maybe I would invite all my farm friends over to, to so we could work on it together or my, my neighbors so we could learn how to plant gardens together and do research and complement each other. You see, there's a, these added dimensions can be and should be part of your project if you want to create change. Is that useful? Yeah, yeah, fully. Okay, so function being and will. So what are you, the, first of all, what are you transforming function? Being, the, the being state implies so much, but it's basically how are you working with yourself, your team, the material that you're engaged in? How are you adding value to the system? What's the effect you're having? It can address all that. It's who you need to be and who you're becoming and who your system is becoming. You see, you can't separate yourself, your organization, and that's why this is is a mind bender for many people. And then the will statement is what's the source of will? What's actually motivating you? At the core, a cathedral, you know, a stonemason on a cathedral, his motivation would have been God, more than likely. Mm-hmm. Or a pay or a pay, paycheck isn't very motivating, but you might think about that. There's uh, I like to also say the purpose of the purpose. What's at that core? And I use uh, making dinner as an example, just to make because the contrast is might be really illustrative, and this might be all that people need because this example I think is has always been what I've hung my experience on this. 
So I'm gonna I'm gonna do this not politically correct the first time, and then I'm gonna do it a second time to order in order to illustrate the being state. So I'm gonna take raw ingredients and transform it into a meal for my family. It is a transformation in a way that shows my kids how much I dislike them because I never wanted to have children in the first place. Okay. So how's that dinner going to be? Obviously a pretty bad dinner. And I dare say that's a way a number of people on this planet had dinners. Uh, is that a fair statement? Do you believe? Yeah. Well, you know, something along those lines. Yeah. So you see, you can have a really crappy dinner if you're not purposeful. And so let's do it the way I think you and I would want to do it. So I'm going to take raw ingredients and transform it into a meal for my family. Here's the function. In a way that we sit down with our children and share our love for each other, or at least our daily events around the table. Okay. So that, why am I taking, you know, I don't know, an hour to make dinner and 45 minutes to sit down with my family? So that our children have the psychological well-being and nourishment to grow into responsible adults. That's what I signed up for when I became a parent, right? Now, I can abrogate that and say, listen, take this bag of McDonald's, go out and watch the TV. I'm going to go watch the game on my TV and drink, you know, slug back some scotch. That could be dinner also, right? Throw them in a bag of McDonald's. So we make all sorts of assumptions. We bring our assumptions about what dinner is. But you can imagine dinner can be so many different ways. And so if you have 50 people in the room, what does dinner look like? Why are we doing it? And it's certainly no different than an ecological system, a permaculture farm, a building design, a master plan. Really important to get aligned around that. So we did this one project uh, for a design build school in Vermont that I've been involved with. And they had worked on a master plan for 30 years. They had done 15 variants of the master plan over 30 years. This school is a design build school. There's lots of architects engaged. Let's say there's 70, 80 architects And they, of course, were never able to agree philosophically to the purpose. So as a result, they never had anything approved. We worked through this systemic process with them, purpose statement, essence of place, story of place. When we did the presentation, we didn't do a presentation. We literally put the principles on the wall, the purpose and the principles. So that's what we all agreed to as a board. That's what generated this one scheme, not three choices, this one scheme that all came down to this, and we're going to give you 20 minutes to critique it. Didn't, even, didn't, didn't justify it. Gave them 20 minutes. Every question, we had 10 pages of flip charts that were filled with questions that they came up with, not one that we didn't anticipate. And basically, we went through and asked, answered the questions based on the purpose and the principles. When we were done, it was 100% approved by those 80 architect. That doesn't happen. It happens because you can be systemic about it because what we were doing is helping them image what was really important. Let me read you the purpose statement for that project. That'd be great. So the Yes Tomorrow Design Build School's purpose is to learn together through shared inquiry and hands-on experience the ways of making human habitat in a way that expands our understanding of who we are and how to live in beneficial interrelationship with the earth and each other so that we all can thrive in a world with limited resources and unlimited potential. That was a powerful, that's even written on a t-shirt that they've done because that was so meaningful to the school. So that becomes this kind of North Star that then helps guide our decisions. Was that a useful framing? That is great. I'm hoping it's useful for others. It's super useful for me because I'm after Joel Glansberg, we, we spent last week together and he, he su- supported me and we, we had a lot of conversations around this stuff. And, and a couple of projects we went to, he took me through creating a purpose statement like this. Oh, good. Because I've done a lot of stuff around purpose statements, but usually it's just getting to something that really resonates and feels great and does feel like people are aligned around. But to consciously bring in these three layers, I think is great. And I think a lot of it for me, I'm realizing is around not missing out on potential. Because if you, let's say you had the function down, what are we doing? What are we transforming? And even if you had the aspects of will there, what is the purpose of this purpose? What's the greater? You neglect being and then you miss out on the opportunities not only miss out on the opportunities, but you're also wide open for things going wrong because the way we're being together leads to conflict. Absolutely. And, and, and it's being and becoming, right? Those are dimensions of life that we typically just don't spend time with because we're swimming in that soup, if you will. You know, we're full of life, 
but to become conscious of it allows us then to actually redirect energies and emphasize energies as necessary. You don't want to lose that energy. And if you start losing the energy, then throw away any structure that gets in the way. We tend to bring, bring the consultant hat on, right? I'm being hired for, by as a consultant. I've got to be an expert. I've got to show them what I know. The minute you go there, you're not doing this work. Yep. Yeah, and that idea of Bill, you're not in control, you know, because you're present to what's emerging in the moment. Uh, wait, emerging in the moment, but in service of that direction, right? That aim, that purpose. You always got to be holding whatever purpose, you know, if you don't have one, what you, know, what you think it is, but nonetheless illuminating what, where people are going and drawing that out. Yes. Because that process fo- should follow that energy of that, of that North Star. If you don't have that North Star, you might as well go home. Yeah, yeah, fully. So let me share this levels of thought. We talked a little bit about that. Oh, that would be great. Yes. Because I think it's appropriate right now. So this is called levels of thought. Okay. It's uh, Charlie Crone and Carol Sanford, and I think it was used for Procter and Gamble years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find it very useful. And there's other things like it out there, but starting at the top, belief, philosophy, principles. Skip a line. Concept strategies, design, skip a line, implement, audit, evaluate, and then start over. It's an ordering system. By the way, the top three are will, the middle three are being, and the bottom three are function. Just to connect it to that conversation. So where do most projects begin? And without belaboring it, I can tell you everybody I've ever talked to says it begins at either concept, strategies, or design. I want to do a green star building. Well, you've just decided your strategies, almost, right? Or I want a building that looks like this. Well, you've just begun with design. Or I want a building that serves as a living laboratory. There's a concept. Well, there, you just designed your concept. So meanwhile, what about the other people in the room? What about the other clients? What about the users? Are they aligned around that? How do you know if you're aligned? Well, let's maybe start with belief and philosophy. What do we believe? How do we activate that belief? And what are the principles? Because the principles are the guides, guides for action. So I believe the most important design deliverable that you can give to any client other than their own capability are the principles that are the guides for action on a project. When we work with architecture firms and clients who are doing these, these massive master plans, I say, yeah, you can draw the pretty picture. That's nice. But... Within 24 hours after completing that pretty picture, it's going to change. And it's going to change because the financing situation has changed yeah. or some new stakeholder comes along or, yeah. uh, you know, we've ended up with uh, a real problem with soils in this area. You never know. And so, oh, well, we've got to modify it. So the only thing that really hangs on are the principles. Because the principles will allow that master plan to be continually altered with integrity. I want to ask you more about principles, but did you want to say a bit more first? No, 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 no. Uh, ask away. So, yeah, I'm fascinated by that aspect. That's something I picked up from my time with Joel recently, is this idea that once you've done this work around purpose that we've been talking about, you develop a set of project-specific principles. Yep. And this fascinates me in the sense that for permaculturists, as soon as you talk about principles, they're like, yeah, yeah we, we've got principles. And no, you know, yeah, those are generic Exactly. The thing is, though, that there can be this volition to draw them into design process. And what can happen then is that it doesn't end up being that healthy necessarily because you're trying to force what you're doing through this generic set of principles. Correct. If I check, if I check them all off, I'll have a great design. And often, in my experience, is actually leading you away from doing the right thing here and now in this specific context. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about this idea that you actually generate unique, specific principles project to project. Yes, and we generate principles around the project itself and the process. Right. Process, yes. process principles as well, right? Because the exactly. process, in fact, may be even more important than yep. the project principles. Yep. We'll often, you know, a principle can come from anywhere. You know, the principle is, is that I need to speak loud in order to be heard over this Zoom call. There's a principle. Pretty meaningless, but it's a principle. So you can make a principle of anything. Can you enrich it? If you can enrich it with function and being will dimensions, then it's really cool. Because if you can capture the dynamics of relationship and function and compelling will in that principle, all the better. Trying to think of an example, you know, that yestermorrow, just because I had the yesterday purpose statement up in that design build school. Oh, let me see. 
Yeah, Joel, Joel and I did this together. Let's see. Um, well, what I was saying is that there are, a, we, we generated 70 to 80 principles. And, um, but, they, but you don't remember that many. And a really interesting exercise is once people have those principles in mind, then you start looking for the patterns of the principles so you can essentialize and hang on to them. So for one big project, the billion-dollar wastewater treatment project, we had all these, you know, work with the larger environment, work with the entire harbor system, work with all the communities. You know, every community needs to be contacted. Well, that could all be compressed into two words, think big. And it was fun. We, we created the think big together, and that became a talisman, the touchstone for the project. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are we collapsing? We're supposed to be thinking big. Oh, yeah, I forgot. So, I mean, really, that went on for six, eight months, just always touching back to the principles because we kept going, going off, the, off the rail. So just I did find those principles at Yestermorrow. Uh, one of the ones that they came up with was ritualize purposeful process and principles. Is that we'd never done that before. So in this case, because it was a new way of working, one, the executive director said, we need to ritualize this or it's just going to disappear. That's a great principle. That could be generic, and it probably should be, right, for almost any project, but we'd never developed that before. That was brand new. And um, let me just see if there's a couple others. Well, there's a standard one that I always, which is from the Law of Three, that we talked we talk about Law of Three, right? Reconciling, not, did we do that last time? Harmonizing, not compromising? I'm sure. I mean, if, if we didn't, we definitely spoke about it on the, on the episodes with Joel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so important. It's the it's the framework I believe that could save this planet if we actually paid attention to it. Is that we don't have to argue about duality and who's right and who's wrong. We just bump it up to new potential, and all of a sudden, all those problems disappear. But one is reconcile, not compromise. There's a process principle. Um, another one: push decisions to their edge to see new vantage points. Now that's very useful, you know, because most people say, "Don't go there." We you know we we have a pretty good idea. No. We want to push it to the edge. So are we being disciplined around that? Anyway, is this helpful? Yeah. I think it's re really important. And so you, you've done the work around align, alignment around purpose. And then it's which, which, by, oh, which, by the way, let me interrupt here. Yeah. So I gave you that belief in philosophy. In a way, the purpose is a simulcrum, you know, a kind of a uh, substitute for belief in philosophy. Okay. If you have the time, it's much better to work with belief in philosophy. Really right. unpack. Yeah. Um, but often you don't. And many projects, you don't have permission to go there. So, you know, we, we aren't often, sometimes we're, we're not hired. Some projects just hire just to do integrative project management. We don't want any of that regeneration stuff. We don't understand it. You guys use funny words. So just help us with the design. So, oh, we say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we go and do our work anyway. We just use different words. <laughs> so, you know, this is a way of being and working and becoming. You don't put it to the side. You can't put it to the side. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, I love people, people say, well, you know, would you guys speak English? And I said, well, so what words am I using that are not part of the English language? They said, well, no, I guess we know all those. Good. What you're, what you're not understanding is that we're putting them together to create new meaning because the old meaning isn't working very well. Would you agree that that's maybe a worthwhile effort? Oh, yeah, it makes sense. Okay, so now would you please really concentrate on what this is saying to you without getting trapped by automatic behavior because the automatic behavior says, Oh, this is like something I've ever seen before. Uh, therefore it's gotta be difficult. Yes, it is difficult. Change is difficult. Life is difficult. So dig in, you know, basically you can make light of it, but uh, this is work. We're talking about real work. We're not going to fall off the log to transform the planet. Yeah. Great. So th with this, these, the nine, do you call them the nine lines and three layers or have you put it? No, I just, um, you know, levels of thought. Just levels of thought. Order, yeah, yeah. Ordering and thing. so there's this stuff in the wheel space. And the, the thing is you talk about aligning around purpose and this idea of attending to function being in will within that. And we gave some examples of that. Uh, and then at some point there's the function uh, the, at the level of the project entirely, which is you, you, know, you do stuff, you got to make decisions and, yeah. things and change things. And the principles to me are a lovely um, intermediary between the, the, rubber in the road in the sense of th these are things that we we can make concrete decisions in service of or toward right so they're, they're really the principles become a, uh, a set of decision making criteria that help to move from purpose to actualization yeah they are decision making they're guides really more important to say that they're guides to action 
It can be, remember I said the, that function being will might be, a, so we created one term here because beavers were so, beavers made this country, the United States for all intents and purposes, right? So, and there were lots of beavers around here that were all being extirpated. So one principle for the project was beavering, just beavering. And then qualifier, live and engage in this place as beavers would, creating opportunities for nutrient exchange at all levels and with all living things. That's a pretty broad principle, but pretty darn powerful. And a permaculture principle certainly em embraces that thinking, right? For sure. But this place related to beavers. And so making this appropriate and meaningful for this particular population is yeah. much more powerful than a generic framework. Which is not in any way to demean or diminish the incredible power of the generic uh, no, I, I hope I didn't try. That was hardly my intention to do. No, no, no. I was thinking. I was thinking more of myself. I can't remember what I said earlier exactly. This is utterly a complementary thing. That that is, as well as being informed by those beautiful high-level principles, that really capture and condense so much of what permaculture is about. Also, we use them. By the way, we use them all the time. You know, begin with it. We begin with a small test trial, right, or whatever that principle is. But yeah, Joel. Joel refers to a lot of them. He, yeah. He's a big fan of, of Mollison's principles. But yeah, the, the, this the complementary idea that yeah, you can all, but also potentially have a play with with project specific principles as well. Right, right. Okay, where do we go? I feel like this is probably more than enough in terms of diving into some of these frameworks, and you know, I, I, I take a punt and, and suspect possibly some of the listeners were chuckling when you just spoke about um, the comments from people saying, "What language are you speaking?" etc. Right, right. <laughs> and For sure. And we hear it all the time, don't we? Yeah, yes, I think that's great. And I mean, I've, I can empathize listeners, and as a listener myself, I've been drawn into the orbit of this work over the last several years. And, and initially, I mean, someone at the start of Joel's workshop last week put it, they said, look, I, I sense there's something here, but I'm trying to grab it. And it's like I'm trying to grab smoke. You know, it's not, it's not another bullet point list on a shelf or whatever. And that's certainly my sense. You know, I, I checked it out for a while and, and it actually took me a while to figure out whether there was... I could sense enough um, not just a utility god, but you know, enough well, value that's fair. Uh, uh, to to justify the effort of figuring out how the heck you were using these words differently and all of that. But I, I'm I'm increasingly discovering there is there is value in there. And one of the things I tend to do in the world is dive into s approaches. This is annoying in the sense that it's not something I can read a book and get my head around in six months. You know, it's going to take years. Yeah. Well, it's, it's understanding versus knowledge, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I I also look forward to, to sharing my adventures and distilling some of the stuff out and, and making it more accessible to, to others that are interested. Because so far, there, as I said, there's been a lot of interest in, in what Carol, yeah. Joel, yourself have been sharing. And I'm, I'm excited to be creating a concentrated conduit to, to bring this stuff. And the, and the interesting thing is coming back to where Genesis started and, and the relationship to permaculture is that, uh, I don't know if you'd say it's a kind of a closing of the loop attempt or something, but most of the, the people that started Regenesis were permaculturists and permaculture yes. it deeply mm -hmm. informs your work and always has and always will. And yet you're drawing on, on lineages and, and stuff that so far is not familiar to the... Well, it's not familiar because we, we're drawing on spiritual traditions and thinking traditions and ways of observing the world that we have lost because of our predilection for reductionism. Because reductionism is actually relatively easy. But what's sad about reductionism is we, you know, you dissect a frog and you're no longer working with a frog, you're working with a dead piece of flesh and... Maybe you can look observe what the liver looks like. Obviously, there's many great things you can learn through reductionism, but mm -hmm. you're not going to learn about a frog that way, what it means to yeah. be frogginess. So you have to be working at both. This is not an either-or thing, right? And that's the other thing. We're not, we're not saying abandon all what you've learned before. It's all important stuff. It's like Tecumseh. I, quoted, I think I quoted Tecumseh last time, right? The white man uh, has frozen the word. So we just have to be very leery of knowledge as a substitute for understanding. And this work is actually meant to get people off of automatic. It is meant to frustrate you. Because if you're not frustrated to some degree, you're not going to ask a question. And you don't learn until you ask a question. We don't want to make you crazy. We just want to have you ask a question. Like, wow, right. is that the way things work? It can be a fine line sometimes. So you, you want to frustrate people without driving them insane. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe if you if you have you just briefly, I think it'd be nice to just to, to come back to the other. You know what what happens once you get the jobs and and just right. a few flavors. You know just yeah. yeah well, there's some, there's some what flavors. Are you, what are you doing? How are you doing it? What's going on? Yeah, we're still trying to figure it out. I mean, you know, we we um, first of all share some of the projects, the wide variety of projects. We working on 
multiple billion dollar wastewater treatment plants and aligning communities that don't agree about anything and shifting the shifting the dimension from being the, the worrying about the cost of the tariff for the utility bills it, what what's happened in Vancouver it shifted from worrying about the tariffs to how do we save the orca whales that transition happened over two projects one you know one project being about the tariff the next project being about the orca whales same people same organization but that's the level of you know dimension that shifts when you start helping people engage. Every project may not be a home run. I certainly wouldn't call the project the first one we did, but we did shift the nature of being state and will and, and purpose, if you will, uh, because of that work. So that the next project became much more involved with the socio-ecological system instead of treating human, just treating human waste. We work in eco-resorts. We work on massive developments in communities. We're working on a kingdom in Ghana, basically restoring uh, damaged lands from gold mining into a productive um, bio-based fuel to begin to carbon sequestration and terra preta um, and then changing the nature of agricultural livelihood. So that's a pretty complex and complete system. Working in towns uh, for, with developers in terms of how do you get this, this, this problems versus potential. I can tell you we've gotten more work out of this framework than any other one. Because people say, whoa, you can harmonize? I could use some of that. I was just in Chicago yesterday uh, for a whole neighborhood in Chicago, and this is the reason we're there. Because for 30 years, they've been master planning this region. It's gone nowhere. Kind of like the Estomaro, the design build school. 30, you know, 30 years of master planning and no results. Uh, people warring with each other about the, what's, what's the proper philo architectural philosophy we should have there. So people come up to us right after a lecture and say, we could use some of that. It's worth 30 years, you know, it's worth 10 years worth of lawyers to hire you guys. Um, but, you know, more and more people are hiring us because they, they know that sustainability is a zero-sum game. Uh, people are aware of that. They know that social justice and ecological work go hand in hand. They don't know how to work that way. Um, they're working with complex problems. And really what we are finally getting traction around is we're saying, you know, our job is not to deliver you a project. Our job is to actually help you develop your thinking and capability and your being state, your becoming state, so that, that you can transform, not we as a consultant, that you can transform the place you live and work. That's really what this is about. And uh, I've talked about field building. Did I not do that last time, Dan? You did, yes, regenerative field building. Yeah. Yeah, well, the, again, I just can't say enough about that, that if you actually create this consistency, ritualizing practice of this with your clients and get them to participate, that's the hard part. The hard part is for the client themselves to recognize that they have some work to do. That's really the shift. And that, that's a tough one to get. Yeah, I was just reflecting as you're talking before, I was thinking a lot of these people you're working with, they probably wouldn't voluntarily go to a, like a self-development seminar or a meditation exactly. retreat or something, but in a sense exactly. you're bringing something like that to them. <laughs> yeah, one guy said to me, my minister, he, just before he fired me, he said, my minister wouldn't, doesn't get away with saying the shit you say. <laughs> you're fired. And, that, and then we were fired, but we were rehired three months later and we worked with this guy on multiple projects. So you see, that's the other thing I really want to emphasize, don't be afraid. You gotta, you gotta throw this stuff out there because actually people want it, despite what they say. They really want to actually think differently. They want to be in love with life. And in order for them to love life, they have to actually love themselves and love their team and love their their work. And that's what this, that's what this work comes down to. Sorry for the dogs. So, I used I, I, yesterday in Chicago. I, I, I basically said, you know, a lot of this work is helping people fall in love with life again. And they, and one of the guys said. This is, a, this is a very famous old black neighborhood. And the guy said, you said it. You said the word. I'm so happy. He's a developer, multimillionaire developer. And uh, he said, this is where we need to go. He, you know, they, they offered a prayer at lunch. You know, we all held hands. This is not something you typically see. But we were there with six major developers in Chicago. And that's the meeting that we had. Wow, so it's like part of what you're doing is giving people a, a respectable uh, context to conversations they've been yearning to have for a long time. Yeah, hang on, I'm going to yell at the dogs here. He's yelling at the dogs on mute. <laughs> glad it was me. I bellowed. <laughs> it worked. So, so anyway, continue, Dan. Sorry. From what you're just saying, then it sounds like a lot of what's going on is you're, you're giving people a a respectable 
context to have conversations there they've been yearning to have for some time? We don't force it. We just throw it out there. And again, we follow the energy. This is not about saying we must talk about love. We must talk about relationships. It's just, we're just feeling where people are because we have to build on their energy. We have to destabilize people enough for them to question themselves. And then we also have to find out then as in the process of them questioning themselves, that's when they say, well, here's what I really think. You know, not what I'm supposed to say. Here's what I really think. Now we're beginning, now we're working with energy because this is all energy work. Yeah, this other other thing I'm fascinated by learning about possibility management. They talk about supporting people to go into a, what they call a liquid state, where their mm. their rigid personality. This is how I work. This is not how you know that that actually kind of dissolves and it's a little uncomfortable and weird. But as they recongeal into a different shape, new new possibilities are suddenly right in front of them that they just couldn't see before. And yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. And, and so we should wrap up, but you're, here you are, you're doing this work, you're, you're making it happen. You, you started just by talking it up and you've got some jobs, you've accumulated some pretty amazing yeah. studies and, and you how many, you got a whole shitload of projects going at the same time or you, I mean, you, it doesn't seem like you're sitting around. Yeah. No, 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 I'm sitting around. No, we have, we have made, I mean, it's really, summer's a little slow, but we're working on, um, project called Democracy House, basically bringing values-based developmental education to every university in the United States, you know, financed by a couple billionaires. Don't know where it's going to go, but big project. We're working with, I can't say the name of the city, but a major city in Canada to restructure their whole way of economic development. So economic development around place, around essence, as opposed to just bringing in jobs. I just mentioned Chicago yesterday, a very famous neighborhood in Chicago is uh, we've assembled, we've been invited to, to lead the team in this work, but the developers are all in alignment. It's the, the, uh, the alignment is so fantastic. There's no, there's no hesitation to dive in this way. So you see this stuff and that's in the United States, which has been our most difficult place to find work actually, because the United States is very functional. People are there. Just have to scratch the surface and give permission uh, what else? Um, so, oh yeah, Montreal, another project. Couple, pro- we're working in three cities in Canada, Chicago, well, that's a Africa. Big... Anyway, the the point is is that that we are get we are now getting massive projects, and that's uh, that's very hopeful because this work is imminently. It's not just scalable. It, you build a field, and then you can build a field from a small project or a big project, but the big projects are more powerful. Okay. Wow. Thanks, Bill. It's been great. Thank you, Dan. I believe in what you're doing, Dan. I love the fact that you're really invested in this and that people are paying attention. Mm. That's great. And I'm happy to support you. So mm, thanks so much. We have some, we want to have some quick uh, conversations that maybe, uh, maybe a little more instead of, uh, you know, pushing it for one session. I'm happy to do that. Maybe little vignettes of interviews might mm. be more productive. Okay. Brilliant. I'll take a listen. But we'll see. I mean, it was good. We spent quite a bit of time on the function being will thing. And I, you know, I'll be interested to see whether that lands for people and gets to a point where they can find it usable, useful. Good. Yeah, maybe, maybe just even have some sections. So you feel I haven't listened to it and probably won't, but the last one you felt you were able to edit it down to be um, pretty yeah, useful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Or you saw the, yeah, really, really positive people listening to it. I mean, I'll just share a, this is a text that came through yesterday. So she says, um, was listening to your condo with Bill on the podcast, the personal development stuff I wanted to talk about, exclamation mark. Yes, more. It's more than substances. It is what processes we can use to welcome people to the party. Who do we need to become to be able to develop these processes? Uh, you know, nice. Things are landing for people. Like I said, I'm grateful, Dan. So thank you for your good work. Likewise, Bill. There's no turning back now. So we'll Now you're you. stuck. Well, that, was, that was so great. I'm feeling incredibly grateful to you know, all these characters, Joel Glansberg, who just came in a few weeks back, spent a week with me in deep conversation and, and really giving me detailed one-on-one mentorship through a bunch of design consultancy experiences. Uh, and to this beautiful energy from Bill, who's obviously really supportive and really happy to share and to take the time out of his, his life to feed in. And I'm not wanting to you know, turn that beautiful energy and opportunity down. So I'll be exploring ways that we can continue to benefit from this stuff. I'm realizing that I'm not going to be able to probably ever again disentangle 
a lot of what I'm learning here about frameworks and moving from problems to potential and function being well, all the stuff, to the evolution of making permaculture stronger. And so I'm already getting the inkling of some writing I'll be doing around this. Send me in your ideas and questions about how you think we might um, best benefit from this beautiful offer, this energy from, from Bill and his colleagues. Uh, you can follow up on Regenesis Group at regenesisgroup.com. I'll ask Bill if he wants to share any resources or links. I'll, at the least, I'll definitely type out the purpose statement example he shared, and we'll have that on the show notes. Uh, catch up with the late Making Permaculture Stronger latest, which includes blog posts and videos as well as the podcast at makingpermaculturestronger.net. I'm looking at ways to better integrate the, the emerging Patreon community, which is patreon.com slash makingpermaculturestronger, to integrate that more into the blog and maybe I'm already starting to share some monthly updates there for people that are generous enough to be chipping in a dollar a month or whatever works for them. Meantime, take care. Uh, as I said at the beginning, let me know what's on your mind, what's working, what's not working, how uh, this thing can, can better inform and serve your evolution as it serves mine in this beautiful permaculture work that we're jointly uh, part of in the world. Okay, catch it in episode 24.